0: Uh, different denominations and different backgrounds, and uh, not everybody in the world believes in uh, believers' baptism, which is what we do here. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of denominations, a lot of churches do infant baptism, and uh, that's a part of uh, their, their tradition. And so I thought it would be good to just explain, especially for those of you who are here for your family members who are, who are being baptized, uh, just to explain why we do uh, believer's baptism and why we, we don't do uh, infant baptism. Um, and I, I just wanted to share that with you. you. You believe whatever you think God tells you to believe, uh, but I want you to know why we're doing this, okay? Uh, the issue of whether or not to baptize an infant is, is an issue that is fueled not only by theological issues, but also emotional concerns. Uh, the main question driving the issue of infant baptism uh, as to whether one or not one should or should not baptize an infant is an important one and the condition of the eternal soul of a child who is not old enough to make up his or her own mind about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ is the issue at the forefront of the debate and what i want to do is uh, just at least inform you as to why uh, we don't do infant baptisms Uh, I I think that uh, unless you've been in a situation like this at the hospital, uh, I think you would maybe wonder uh, why we wouldn't do an infant baptism. Uh, I am a pastor that is a chaplain, so I go to the hospital, and I see people all the time at the hospital. um, Once in a while, an infant doesn't make it. And then things get real. Uh, Then there's people there that are panicking and saying, "You know, we gotta get this child baptized because we wanna make sure they go to heaven and uh, if i'm the chaplain i will pray with them i'll ask god's blessing on with them and then i'm going to leave as soon as i can and call a pastor in town or in the area that does do infant baptisms uh, because my conscience won't let me do that and they'll they'll come and do the baptism of the child that had passed away it's a big deal and it's not a popular thing uh, to not give parents what what it is that they want at that time i think there's other comfort there and other truth uh, but uh, that's that's how that works, and it's a, kind of a gut-wrenching theological issue, especially when you're in that kind of a situation. So uh, that's it. What happens to a child who dies before they ever re- reach the age of accountability? That's another issue. As believers, we say we believe in believers' baptism, which means you have to be old enough to where you can decide: Have I trusted Christ as my Savior, or have I not? And if you can't do that, then we don't think that you're able to uh, follow the Lord in baptism until you can. Uh, People say, wouldn't uh, baptizing them place them into the family of God in case the child were to die uh, during that stage where they're not accountable yet in terms of knowing right from wrong before they could decide personally to trust Christ as their Savior? And that's what I want to kind of deal with here today. What does the Bible teach? And that's always the issue for us. Our our issue as children of God is, well, what does the Bible say about this? And what should we do as a result of what the Bible says? So uh, you can follow along in your bulletin because there's a space there for all these points if you wanna uh, write that down. Uh, There's nine reasons why we don't perform infant baptisms. And one of them is not because they're dangerous. Although I did see uh, an infant being baptized once, the pastor slipped dropped the kid and he did a face plan into the baptismal thing, see? So it's, there's danger everywhere. Uh, but these are the nine reasons, and there is uh, this is a practice that I'm gonna say has no biblical merit to, in, to baptize infants. Now let me tell you why, okay? Um, a lot of the folks that are being baptized today were baptized as infants, and they've decided the Bible teaches they should be baptized as believers, and so uh, that's what they're doing because they wanna, they wanna walk with God and say that they're gonna follow him. And what I wanna do is I wanna go to the book of Mark if you happen to have your Bibles there, and we're gonna be looking at quite a few passages. I wanna show you the top two issues in the Bible where people would say this teaches infant baptism, okay? So these are the top two places that they go. Uh, the first one would be in the book of Mark, and I think that's in your, uh, in your bulletin there, Mark chapter 16. And I turn to Mark 6, which is wrong. I mean to be in Mark uh, chapter 16, the last chapter of the book. And then verse 16, and here's what it says. He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved. He who has disbelieved shall be condemned. All right, so that would seem to say that uh, you need to be baptized in order to be saved because it's a part of being saved or that is getting your sins taken care of by the Lord Jesus and getting to go into heaven. Um, Let me just tell you technically, and I mean technically, because we sometimes have to get that way, why I don't think that's teaching that baptism is a part of salvation. You'll notice that it says, he who has believed. And in uh, in the Greek text, this is an active voice word. Now I know how much some of you love English and you love to hear this kind of stuff, but bear with me, okay? And then it says, and has been baptized, that's in the passive voice. Active and passive are different voices. Shall be saved, that's passive, because God is the one who does the saving. But he who has disbelieved, and that's in the active voice, shall uh, shall be condemned. So there's two things going on here. In the text of the Greek, they're trying to set apart the part about believing, and then it's almost like parapsing because God would like us to go ahead and be baptized because he commands it and is baptized, but it's not a part of the main clause. So what's happening here is he's saying this, he who has believed and parenthetically has been baptized, end of the parentheses, shall be saved. But notice what he says about condemnation. But he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. If they meant to say that baptism was a part of salvation, he would have had to say but he who has disbelieved and has not been baptized shall be condemned. But it doesn't say that. Uh, that's because believing is how a person is saved. Baptism is what you do as a work to follow God and to say, I believe God and I'm going to commit my life to him and I want to show the public what I am doing. So uh, there's good answers for this. There's solid answers for that. And the other one that seems to cause people a lot of trouble is First Peter chapter 3. So if you want to turn there, First Peter chapter 3 and verses 18 to 21. <clears throat> so uh, uh, Peter is, is writing to the Jews of the diaspora, and here's what he says. For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. In which also he went and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison who once were disobedient when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah during the construction of the ark in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. The waters of the flood he's talking about. Corresponding to that baptism now saves you You say well that's pretty clear you know it says right there baptism now saves you but look at what he says how he how he qualifies that not the removal of dirt from the flesh but an appeal to god for a good conscience through the resurrection of jesus christ who's at the right hand of god having gone into heaven after angels and authorities and powers had been subjected to him a couple of things here back in uh, in uh, verse 19 It is not teaching that after Jesus died, he went to hell for three days and then was resurrected out of hell. There's no reason for Jesus to go to hell. The Bible doesn't teach that Jesus ever went to hell. What he's talking about is in this place is that during the days of Noah, the Spirit of God, which went into the days of Noah and preached to the people through Noah, who was a preacher of righteousness, and preach to the people of his day, who are now in prison in, 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 the, in the confines of hell, because they didn't listen, and they didn't believe, and they didn't come to faith. And, and they were once disobedient, that's what it says in verse 20, when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah. So God had Noah build an ark, and the world was gonna be flooded, the entire world was under water, and every, every uh, man, woman, and child perished except Noah, and his three sons, and their three wives. And he says they were brought through water, they were saved through, us, through water by the flood. And see, people say, well, see, water saves you. But you'll notice in verse 20 he says, he says, not the removal of dirt from the flesh, which is all an outward baptism could do, is make you a little cleaner. Now, we're all going to be clean when we go in there today, so that's not an issue, right? And the issue is this. What's happening in Peter's day is that there were people, Jews, that fled the, the area of Israel to other places because the persecution for Christianity was horrendous. And people were being put to death because they believed in God. And so some of the people, because the Lord says, and we're going to look at it in Matthew in a minute, uh, go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. These people, in order to be baptized, did not have a nice indoor baptismal place to get baptized, and I just checked for Sunday school. I've got the water temperature at 94, and that's going to be great for us. Uh, it's not like a lake and really cold. All right? it's, going to be, it's going to be luxurious. These people, if they walked down to the river and got baptized, they would be persecuted and some of them would be killed. So they decided, what's the best way to keep out of persecution? Don't go out in public and get baptized. Well, what's baptism about? It's a public declaration that you belong to God and you belong to Jesus Christ. And so Peter is wondering why won't you do that if you belong to God? You've died in Christ. Why wouldn't you show other people this just because your life is in danger? Is that what this is all about? He So so he says to them, corresponding this baptism now saves you, not that it's gonna remove dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God, notice, for a good conscience. You can't say you love Jesus. You can't say I'm gonna follow Jesus and then not do what he says. He says, take the risk. God is with you. Go down to the river and get baptized. And they weren't doing it. And Peter said, this is a conscious conscience issue. And we need to be serious with God about who we are and what we're going to do and what we're not going to do. Uh, so that's how we understand that. These passages do not support infant baptism. In fact, it is clear in the Mark passage that what's being taught is that faith saves us. Otherwise, Mark would have said, he who has disbelieved shall be condemned and who doesn't get baptized. He doesn't say that. Baptism is not mentioned as a part of why someone is condemned there. Only faith is necessary. Peter makes it clear in 1 Peter 3.21 that water doesn't wash away sin. Uh, Peter is pushing for a good good conscience before God. He is saying, uh, you say you have faith, prove it. He wants them to step out, Stop avoiding the public baptism for fear of persecution and show that they belong to Jesus. And if you know Jesus, uh, persecution would not stop you from following his command for the believers to be baptized. Now, I want to briefly go through the nine reasons why we don't baptize infants. Number one, like I said, it's in your bulletin. There is no command, no mandate in the New Testament anywhere that tells us to baptize infants. It's not commanded in the Bible at all. Uh, Some point to Acts 16, there were two families in Acts 16. The family of Lydia, uh, the sower of purple, and the family of the Philippian jailer. And they both asked the apostle, what must we do to be saved? And he said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And that's all he said. He didn't say, and then make sure everybody gets baptized. And people look at that and say, well, if, uh, but his family was baptized. And Lydia's family was baptized. And they say, well, there had to be little children in those homes, little infants. It doesn't say that. That's an argument from complete silence. And since the rest of the New Testament teaches you have to be a believer before you're baptized, it can't be infants because infants can't make a decision. Infants can't decide, uh, I, I'm a sinner and I need to make Christ my Savior. Uh, one of our little lambs yesterday, or Friday at the ball game, uh, was talking to me and said, Pastor, have I ever been baptized? I said, yeah, I don't know. I don't remember. He said, well, if I have, I don't remember it. Uh, if you wait till you know what you're doing, you know what Jesus means, you'll always remember it. And it's something you decided to do. It's a conscious decision that you made. So this is an argument from silence. And I'd say since the Bible teaches opposed to that, Paul wasn't going to let people be baptized who, who shouldn't be baptized in the household of Lydia. And the Philippian jailer, um, it is uh, nothing more than an assumption uh, that they each had infants in their household uh, to be baptized. Nowhere in the New Testament does it command us to be baptized uh, or baptize uh, baptized infants. I should say, um, I want to go back to the Acts sixteen thirty one passage and read what he says there. when you're trying to decide what the Bible says about something, you have to go to a lot of places, so hang in there with me, okay? Acts 16.31, it says, they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your households. I want you to understand, friends, if that's what Paul wrote or, or said to this group of people, and Luke records it, and that's all you knew of the Bible, and you thought, well, how do I get saved? Well, I remember it said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ you'll be saved. Paul would have been remiss, he would have been in trouble, if there's two parts to salvation, like believe and baptize, uh, if he hadn't said that. And if he didn't say that, then he's remiss, he's leaving something out that's vitally important, but he didn't leave it out, because how are you saved? You believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. And that's the same way they were saved in the Old Testament, and Abraham believed God, and it was accounted unto him as righteousness in Genesis 15, 6. He wasn't saved by uh, any, anything like circumcision. He wasn't saved by going to synagogue. He wasn't saved by any of his works. He was saved by faith. And that's what uh, we believe has to happen. The second thing is there are no New Testament examples or stories containing the baptism of infants in the New Testament, not a one. Go ahead, you know, challenge me, find one, get your concordance, find somewhere where an infant in the, in the New Testament was clearly baptized. There isn't one. And uh, if it were to be practiced, surely they would have given us some examples in the Bible, but there are none. But there are all kinds of examples of adults getting baptized who know God. Thirdly, people falsely connect New Testament baptism, infant baptism I should say, with the rite of Old Testament circumcision. Everybody knows that a male child in Israel was to be circumcised at eight days. And what they say is that circumcision is the sign of the Mosaic Covenant. That's right, it is, the Bible says that. But then they say baptism is a sign of the new covenant and you belong to that. And that's wrong. It's not what the Bible says. Infants were circumcised in the Old Testament to show they belong to the family of Abraham. But I want to read something in just a second to help us understand that that did not make them a true member of the family of God. It just made them a member of the family of Abraham. And unless they came to faith in Christ, it's not going to do anything for them. Uh, to be circumcised. Well, how do I know that? Well, because uh, Paul wrote that to the Romans in Romans chapter 2, if you want to look at that with me, Romans 2. And I want to look at verses 28 and 29, which is a pivotal passage for all that I'm saying. But it says this. If indeed circumcision was the sign of the Mosaic Covenant, which it was, and it corresponds to baptism as supposedly the sign that you're in the New Covenant, then Paul wouldn't say this. But he says this. For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, he means been circumcised in the flesh, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. Jeremiah 9.25 says true circumcision is when you trust Christ, God circumcises your heart. Now, I'm pretty sure there's never been a cardiologist that opened up somebody's chest for a heart surgery and said, oh, looky here, this has been circumcised off. It's a spiritual issue. Uh, It's not a physical thing, God doesn't cut something out of your heart but he does mark you as his child through this spiritual circumcision but he who is a jew is one outwardly and circumcision is that which is of the heart by the spirit not by the letter and not by the letter meaning of the law and praise is not from men but from god so even if even if you could say that new testament baptism was the same as new testament circumc- or old testament circumcision You're still wrong because New Testament, the sign of the covenant of the New Testament is not baptism. According to uh, our text in 1 Corinthians 11.25, the sign of the New Testament is not baptism. It is taking communion, the Lord's table. Some, Some traditions call it the Eucharist. Taking the Lord's table is a sign you belong to the new covenant. It's not even baptism. So uh, that is an argument that is not going to fly. Uh, not all who were circumcised became members of Abraham's true family. You can baptize infants, but some of them grow up and they turn away from God. They don't follow God, and uh, we can't just say, uh, "I was baptized an in infant, so I get in no matter what." No, you don't. It's faith. Number four, in infant baptism, uh, usually I've seen lots of them, a sponsor. Another person gives his faith or her faith in Christ on behalf of the infant who cannot exercise faith on their own because of their age. And uh, what, what does the Bible say about that? Can I go to a baptismal font and can I give my faith for another person? The Bible speaks about that. Uh, turn to Psalm 49, if you would. By the way, all scripture is profitable for correction and reproof, and the Old Testament is scripture uh, as much as any of it. Psalm 49, seven to nine. The question is, at, uh, is stated, I mean, uh, the statement is this way. No man can by any means redeem his brother or give to God a ransom for him. For the redemption of his soul is costly and, should, and they should cease trying forever. That's a clear statement that I can't lend my faith to somebody else. I can't take my righteousness and give it to someone else. We can't do that. It has to be us that makes that decision. Matthew 25, 8 through 12 is an account, a parable about that. And uh, I don't want to run clear out of time here. I'm trying to hurry so we can get to uh, uh, the spiritual uh, examples we're going to have this morning. But in Matthew 25, I'm still not there, Matthew 25 and verses 8 to 12 is the parable of the virgins. And there's these virgins that are supposed to keep their lamps full and their lamps, uh, you know, uh, trimmed and lit. And the bridegroom is going to come at a time when he's not going to announce it and they need to be ready. Well, some of the, some of those ladies had their, their lamps trimmed and full of oil and some of them just messed around, didn't do anything about it. Didn't take that seriously. And then the uh, bridegroom comes to get them, to, re- to receive them for the wedding feast. And uh, the ones that didn't have enough oil said, wait, wait, wait on us. We, we don't have enough oil. We need to go to the market and, and get some oil. And uh, they say to the, one, the virgins that have oil, give us some of your oil. Give us some of your oil, which is standing for a person's uh, spiritual condition before God. And they said, no, if we give you some, it's going to run out on us and we're not going to give it to you. And so they kept to themselves, and they went to the feast, and the virgins went and got some oil, and the door was shut, and they couldn't get in, and they knocked on the door, and the Lord basically says to them, depart from me, I never knew you. See, it's a spiritual lesson. You can't give your faith for somebody else. So uh, the issue Paul is dealing with in the first three chapters of Romans is that circumcision did not save the Hebrew male. Circumcision had to be coupled with faith before uh, they could say it's significant and meaningful. Unbelief is known as a fleshly heart. Circumcision of the heart is the only genuine mark of a true believer. Again, Romans 2, 28 to 29. This is about the difference between Abraham's physical seed and Abraham's spiritual seed. Only those who come to God by personal faith are saved. And that's the way it was with Abraham in Genesis 15, 6. He was saved by faith. We're saved by faith. An infant cannot understand or make a personal decision of faith. Nor can a man or a woman give their faith for that other child. Thus, infant baptism is of no salvific or saving value. That's what we're seeing here. The fifth thing, the pattern for the New Testament in this issue of baptism is without exception... No matter where you go in the New Testament, it is always exercising personal faith in Christ first, and then you're baptized, it's never the other way around. And you can check this out in the Concordance, find out for yourself if that's true. Verse six, I'm sorry, number six, not verse. Jesus, who is the leader of the New Testament church, right? Was not himself baptized as an infant. He was circumcised, yet he chose to be baptized as an adult in Matthew three fifteen to 16. I want you to think of it this way. If baptism was the sign of the New Testament, why wouldn't have God told Mary and Joseph, I want you to baptize this child because he's, uh, he's bringing in the New Testament, but he didn't do that. Uh, Jesus also never baptized anyone himself. I want you to think about that. Turn to John chapter four for just a second. John chapter four and verse two. I'm going to read verse 1 there. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, notice the uh, statement in verse 2, although Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were. And that's a baptism for repentance. People are to repent. faith That faith is what saves them, not the baptism. So what we're saying here is that if it is to be that infants should be baptized, Why wouldn't Jesus be telling us that? Why wouldn't Jesus be doing that if it's that important for salvation? Because it's not. That's why he didn't. Number seven, theologically, the Bible teaches that salvation is by faith alone in Christ alone. This is the the, uh, staunch cry of Martin Luther in the Reformation. It is by faith alone in Christ alone. It's not by uh, by works. Uh, Acts 15.9 teaches that. I'm going to hurry just a little bit. You've got these in your bulletin. You can sure look them up. All right, And then uh, Romans 3.28 says you're justified by faith, not by works of the law. Baptism is a work. So baptism is a work that we do. It doesn't save us. Isaiah 64.6 says all of our righteousness is like filthy rags. Ephesians 2.8 and 9 say not by works of righteousness which we have done, but, but by faith is what he has saved us. That was actually Titus 3.5. Uh, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll have salvation. That's, that's what the whole point is. And then Second Timothy 1:9 also speaks to that issue. Infant baptism would serve to void the meaning of spiritual baptism, which is a different issue of spiritual baptism that takes place in Romans 6:1 to 6. 1-6. Number eight, the biblical form of baptism is by immersion under water. Uh, the Greek word for baptize means to dunk under or to immerse. Infants are generally sprinkled or poured in baptism for obvious reasons. Uh, You wouldn't want to take the risk of drowning an infant. Now, one of the most important, I think, is this not that the Bible hasn't already said what what we need to understand, but I want you to think about this. Who is the greatest of the apostles? Who did more for the church evangelistically and, and building churches than anybody else that's recorded? Paul. Paul. He's about Jesus, he is about salvation. That's what he lives for. That's what he works for. And I want to ask you this. If baptism was vital to the salvation of an infant, why did the Apostle Paul say in 1 Corinthians 17 these words? Christ did not send me to baptize. Well, if infant baptism puts kids in heaven, why wouldn't you be baptizing? If I was Paul, and I believed in infant baptism, first thing I did when I went into a community, i preach the gospel, tell them who I am, bring your kids, let's baptize them, so if something happens, they can get into heaven. Paul says, God, Christ, did not send me to baptize. If it's so important, then, why didn't Christ send one of his greatest apostles to baptize? He didn't. He says, Christ did not send me to baptize but to preach the gospel, the good news of Christ, where we find out Jesus died for us and he pays for our sins with his blood to believe that. Not in cleverness of speech so that the cross of Christ would not be made void. Paul was all about salvation. Surely he would, he would uh, not have said that uh, baptism isn't necessary for his ministry if it saved children. We can confer with John 4, 1-2, which we were just at a minute ago. Uh, Jesus who loved and cared for children, never baptized any. There's no, no instance in the New Testament where that ever happened. And so we don't baptize infants. Okay, well, Greg, what do you do with somebody who has a child that died or is dying in the hospital? I'd be happy to tell you what I do. I'll, I'll, this, I do this at their, at their funerals, if I have a funeral for a child, an infant. Um, I would like you to go, if you would, for just a minute to Genesis 18. I don't wanna give people a false hope. I don't wanna make them think that the water of baptism will save you. Uh, so what do I do with that? Well, there's an issue going on uh, between the pre-incarnate Christ and uh, Abraham and two angels. And in this discussion, Abraham is trying to get God to be lenient on Sodom and Gomorrah and save them. He says, well, God, what if there's 50 righteous people there? Would you, would you go ahead and let them live? And God says, yes. How about 40? Yes. How about 30? Yes." And uh, God goes down to the the bottom number there and says, yes, if I find that many, I won't bring destruction on them. But he didn't find that much. And the question is, is raised there by Abraham. And I'm looking here at specifically Genesis 18, 25. Far be it from you, Abraham says to Yahweh, to do such a thing, to slay the righteous with the wicked so that the righteous and the wicked are treated alike. Far be it from you, and this rhetorical statement, shall, you, shall not the judge of all the earth deal justly? You know what the answer to that is? Of course he will. God will never do anything wrong. And in my way of thinking, if an infant can't tell the difference between right and wrong, if they can't make a decision, surely the God of all the universe who never does anything wrong will make an allowance for a child like that. And that's what I preach at the funerals of people that have kids that have died, which is, I think, one of the most uh, horrific losses any parent can sustain. Well, that's what we believe here, and that's what the people that are getting baptized today know, and they've made that decision. And I just wanted you all to know why we do it and uh, what our reasons are. And we understand it's it's a serious issue, and it's a heart-wrenching issue for people. Uh, And I think God's Word has comfort for that As well. All right, I'm going to dismiss the folks that are getting baptized.